Welcome to the official podcast of the Milwaukee Brewers. Swing and a fly to right and deep. Get up! Get up! Get out of here and gone! For Eric Thames, and he strikes again. This is Brewers on Tap. Jamie's wheels and deals struck him out swinging. Now it's time to tap the keg with Lane Grindle. Hello and welcome to episode number 80 of Brewers on Tap. I'm Lane Grindle, your host. Good to have you with us for another edition of the podcast. Brewers sitting at 14 and 14. And of course, back on the road. The second road trip of the year is underway. Two games into it down in St. Louis. We'll tell you more about that in a moment. A two-city, seven-game swing through St. Louis and then, of course, ending up in Pittsburgh, the crew entering Wednesday, game back of the Cubs for first place in the NL Central. Brewers dropped a series to the Braves over the weekend at Miller Park, but did salvage game three, thanks to Domingo Santana. Hit in the air to center and deep. Get up! Get out of here! It is gone for Santana! And this one is back to even. And the pitch by Fulton Avitz to right center and deep! Get up! Get out of here! It's gone for Santana! He did it again! He hit a three-run shot out of here into the Braves' bullpen in right center, and the Brewers have the lead. And the road trip got off to a good start on Monday night when Travis Shaw's bat struck in extra innings. Now the 1-2. Swinging a high fly deep into right. Piscotty back. Track wall. Gone. Three-run homer on a two-strike pitch. And Shaw hits a three-run jack. 7-4 Brewers. The crew and the Cardinals back in action on Wednesday night in St. Louis. The early portion of the season has been headlined by, of course, Eric Thames. His 11 home runs are the best in the majors, along with Washington's Ryan Zimmerman and Aaron Judge from the Yankees. Thames, who of course, as you know by now, played prior three seasons in Korea, had his own cheer song over there, and we want you to have a listen. hoping that we hear a lot more of that at Miller Park this summer. Every month we bring you the David Stern Show. I talked with him last week prior to the Brave Series getting started at Miller Park. In this week's edition of... Let's Break It Down. Welcome to the David Stern Show, our monthly installment of taking a look at everything Brewers as the organization uh, from the top to the bottom as we'll look at the Major League Club and even get into some of the things down in the farm system as well. David, good to see you again. Good to see you. Good start to the year. Uh, the Brewers uh, coming into the final weekend of April, sitting a, a game above 500 at 12 and 11. A really good first road trip. Kind of set the tone and the momentum's carried over. It has. Really, we've played competitively throughout our games. We start off with a rough homestand, but even in those games, we were leading in every single one of those games. Certainly had a chance to win the vast majority of them. So, Overall, I'm pleased with the way we're playing. Clearly, there are, there are aspects of our team that we can tighten up and aspects of, uh, of our game we can tighten up, but that's always going to be true. 
Um, but for the most part, we've been uh, we've been playing hard. Um, we've obviously been hitting the ball very well. Uh, a number of the guys in our lineup are, are swinging the bats well, and so that's carried us. There's a guy that's getting some attention right now. His name's Eric Thames. Uh, it was an off-season signing by this organization, and I think initially when you announced the signing of Eric Thames, there's a lot of people going, okay, now who? And they had to back up, and they had to re-familiarize themselves with Eric Thames when he was with the Blue Jays and the Mariners, and then kind of follow his story it's been a fascinating thing leading up to the season and now the start that he's off to it's become almost like greek mythology what he's been able to do clearly you didn't anticipate that he would do this you wouldn't anticipate anybody would get out of the gates as strongly as he has Uh, but what has stood out to you about why he's having this success it's really he's he's taken all of the improvements that he made in korea and they've all translated to Major League Baseball, which we didn't really expect to happen all at once. We thought there was going to be an adjustment period, and I still think ultimately there likely is going to be an adjustment period as the league adjusts to him and Eric has to adjust back, and that's normal and that's fine. But when he went to Korea, he changed the swing mechanic. That's been well documented now, how he he flattened his bat path. Um, He changed his approach as a plate, also been well documented when he was was here previously and, and playing for... Uh, coming up through the Blue Jays organization. He had a tough time laying off of breaking balls out of the zone. Uh, he went to Korea. He saw a lot of breaking balls out of the zone and learned to lay off of them. And he's carried all of that over. And so what we're seeing right now is really the player he was in Korea. Um, whenever you make an acquisition uh, of a player who's who's playing in an environment that's different from the major league environment, you're never entirely sure how those skills are going to translate. Um, and in this case, it's translated very well. When you try to explain what he's doing, it's a great lesson in sabermetrics, in my opinion, because we look at all these different numbers, and sometimes we can get lost in all the numbers, but there's a couple of really simple ones, and you, you talked about them in the general sense just a second ago, but the amount of pitches he's swinging at outside of the zone uh, have cut in half from yep. his last go-round. He is not expanding the zone, and it shows you that when you make people throw you strikes, you can drive the baseball, and that's what he's doing. That's right, and it, that, it's as simple as it comes, right? Swing at strikes and the results will follow. And, and that's what's happened to Eric. Um, it's a lot easier said than done. It's, it's really tough to lay off of breaking balls at the major league level that start in the zone and, and, uh, and end up out of the zone. That's, that's how pitchers make a lot of money at this level. But uh, he's done a great job of it. He saw a lot of that over the last three years, and, and he's still clearly recognizing spin very well here. And, and it's, been, it's been fun to watch. I don't know that We've ever been around a stretch like this um, for any one particular player. Clearly, when the player is, is as new to the environment as Eric, it takes on uh, even a little bit more heightened uh, meaning and, right. and gains a little bit more heightened uh, notoriety. So it's been fun for all of us. I think Eric's done a wonderful job of handling it and managing it. He's received a lot of attention. He's used to that as well from mm-hmm. Korea when, when he was the biggest star there is over there. So. Uh, I think he's enjoying it, and we're certainly enjoying watching him. I, there's going to be so many questions about you know, how you scouted him, how you guys found <laughs> Eric Thames, and, and you were following him for some time before you ended up signing him. But the other part of it I think that people are going to ask questions about is if a guy's struggling and they go over to Korea and they, and they fix themselves, is this unique to Eric Thames, or is this a good route for maybe some other guys to go over there, see more breaking stuff, more off-speed stuff, and, and, and they can get away from the limelight of Major League Baseball to really fix themselves before coming back this way? I think it's to be determined. I think we have to, we have to see how guys react when they go over there. It's not just going over to right. a foreign league um, and all of a sudden you come back and, and you're able to hit Major League pitching. I mean, a lot of guys go over, very few or really no one, 
does what Eric actually right. did over there. He, yep. he set all sorts of records in Korea. Um, he was far and away the best offensive player they've had there uh, and put up a, a three-year stretch unlike anything they've ever seen. And that's what had us take some notice and, and had some other clubs take some notice as well is when you see someone, regardless of what level it is, put up numbers that we don't see anywhere uh, at any level of baseball, um, you have to pay attention to it. And, and once you see that and then you dive a little bit deeper and you try to figure out the why, why is this happening, how is he having success, and then we had to make a determination about whether we thought some level of that success could come over here and still work at the major leagues. And um, we were willing to take that risk, and, and so far, so good. You know, with Eric, I think the thing that stands out, too, he puts up these big numbers in Korea, and you expect him, if you, if you didn't, and you guys did, obviously, you did all your homework, and you did a lot of video scouting on Eric Thames, but for somebody that wasn't watching him in Korea, you would expect him to have this big, elongated swing yep. trying to generate power, and it's the opposite of that. He's such a strong guy but it's a short to the baseball swing, and he has enough power to still go the other way and get it over the fence, and we've seen that already this year. Uh, that's what I think maybe is maybe as exciting to you guys as anything, is that he's not overextending himself. He's, he's staying short to the baseball, and he's still putting good swings on it. Is that something that showed up when you guys were scouting? It, absolutely. It, it's a short, compact, direct yeah. swing. You know, it, it's, it's a quick to the, quick to the point of contact um, swing mechanic. Uh, it works very well, allows him to make contact with a lot of different pitches in a lot of different areas in the zone. And because he's so strong and because he generates such leverage through the zone, um, the balls tend to carry. Um, but we've, we've seen him get hits all over the ballpark, right? right. We've seen him uh, hit a ground ball down the third baseline. We've seen him hit a ground ball down the first baseline. We've seen him hit home runs to right field, center field, left field. So um, he's able to, to do his damage in all quadrants of the field um, that makes it a little bit more challenging to defend and speaks to his ability to coverage to cover the entire strike zone. The catching production that the Brewers are getting is, is the other thing that is getting a little bit lost in the mix because everybody's focusing so much on what Eric yeah. Thames is doing. It's a historic start. But what you're getting from the two catchers right now is amazing. Every time you think one guy maybe takes the step forward, the next guy gets an opportunity, and he says, no, wait a second, it's going to be a two-man uh, platoon system. Not really a true platoon, but both are going to play because both have been producing so well. Has, has it amazed you the way that they've both produced? Not just at the plate, too. They've both done a nice job defensively. What, what's been encouraging to me is they really look at themselves as a team. Mm -hmm. uh, they study pregame together. Uh, they encourage each other. Um, they're excited that they have this internal competition and they're very supportive of each other. And it's been, it's been great for us. Obviously we've got the, the best production, um, from our catching duo of, of any catching duo in major leagues right now. Um, both of these guys were guys that we thought when they had an opportunity to play regularly in the big leagues, even yeah. if it wasn't every day, but just know that they were on a big league team playing regularly, that, that they had the talent, um, to, to be regular major leaguers. And that's what we're seeing right now. And, um, similar to Eric, we expect there's going to be an adjustment from yeah. the league. Um, the league is still learning these guys. They're relatively young in their major league careers. Um, but both of these guys, Jet and Manny, um, very uh, astute baseball people. Uh, they work very hard pregame, and, and I think they'll be able to make the adjustments as well. One of the areas I felt this team was going to make some big strides in this year coming into the season was defensively. In the first homestand, maybe didn't see that kind of uh, production defensively from this team. 
but they played great defense on that road trip. And there's been some hiccups during this yep. latest homestand. But overall, it feels like that's starting to settle in more, and this team is starting to become the defensive team we expected them to be. I, I think we're trending in the right direction. Yeah. Certainly there have been periods where we haven't caught the ball as well as yeah. we should or as well as we need to. And um, in those games, we've seen what happens. The, the innings get longer, pitch counts rise, and starters can't get deep into games. And um, that's, that's a lot of the consequences of, of – uh, missed opportunities defensively that maybe don't necessarily show up in the box score, um, but it causes you to go to your bullpen a little bit earlier, and that stretches out the game for you. So um, when, we've, when we've played solid defense, we've won those games, and that's not, it's not a coincidence. Um, and, and the times where we've, we've struggled to catch the ball or catch the balls that we should, we, we've more or less lost those games. And uh, so that's instructive for all of us. I think that's instructive for our team. Yeah. Uh, our guys recognize that, and, and defense is certainly a, a point of emphasis for us. Chase Anderson's off to such a great start, uh, leads the NL in ERA right now, and has just – it's, it's been fun to watch because I don't feel like he's really totally reinvented himself. I mean, he throws a cutter a little bit more than maybe he did a year ago, but – it's about fastball command. It's yep. kind of it, it goes back to what we're talking about there at Thames. You don't swing at pitches outside of the zone. Good things happen. And when you throw strikes and you get ahead early, good things happen. And that seems to be the case with Chase. Yeah, I think it, it's been interesting to follow his evolution throughout his time in the major leagues and even over the past year and a half with us. Um, and you're right. It, it's not that he's remade himself. He's just gotten a little bit better in everything he does. So the fastball command has gotten a little bit better. The velocity has gotten a little bit better. The changeup's gotten a little bit better. The cutter he has a little bit more confidence in. Um, and when you add all that up, you get a pitcher who's, who's better than he used to be. Yeah. And uh, that's what we've seen. He's been a stabilizing force on our staff. Um, he's been our most consistent starting pitcher uh, so far. And um, we need that right now. We need a guy where every five days we know he's going to take the ball and um, get us into the sixth, seventh inning. And Chase has been able to do that. And that rotation's dealt with some injuries, the Matt Garza injury, then the Junior Garrett injury. Um, but the Tommy Malone signing already paying dividends as he has been able to help you out in that regard. And and some other guys have stepped forward throughout that process, too, which you, know, you always talk about seven guys for five spots during spring training. It's amazing how those things seem to work themselves out and prove that it was a good thing you had seven guys. Yeah, it, it, it looked for a while in spring training like we were going to have the healthiest starting pitching in, in baseball through spring training. Then all of a sudden, obviously, we're, we're down two guys. Um, and that's why we, we build depth. Tommy is, is really filling in that role exactly as we had anticipated, where he has the ability to to bounce back and forth from the starting rotation to the bullpen. He's used to that. Um, he's comfortable with that. And, and so he's done a really nice job filling in wherever we need him, when we need him, throwing strikes and, and uh, eating up innings for us. And Junior has begun to throw a little yep. bit. So do you anticipate in the next couple of weeks him maybe going out on a rehab assignment? That's certainly our, our hope. Obviously, we need to let Junior dictate the pace yeah. here and, and let how his calf feels dictate the pace. But he's, he's done a tremendous job in his rehab process so far. Uh, and our expectation would be over the next couple of weeks, we send him out on a rehab assignment and then go from there. And that would probably be a little lengthier rehab assignment than typical, would, it, would you it, anticipate? It, it could be. The, the good news about a lower extremity issue is that Junior has been able to keep his arm um, in pretty decent shape throughout the, throughout the process. So he's already long tossing um, at, at this point, and, and that's a, a really good sign. So, um, you know, a, a couple of outings is probably uh, what a rehab assignment would look like, but we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Bullpen, Jacob Barnes is the talk of Major League Baseball as well, what he's been able to do, has not given up an earned run yet. And, and it's, it's not just that he has had success. It's when you watch it and you see it, yep. it's, it's impressive. Uh, he hit 100 miles per hour at Wrigley a couple of weeks ago. The slider's over 90. 
and it has a great bite to it. He, he's really fun to watch right now. Yes, he he's, he's got to be among the most dominating relievers in yeah. baseball right now from a swing and miss perspective. And um, he's doing it with both the fastball and the slider, both to righties and to lefties. Coming into the year, we knew that Jacob was, was dominant against right-handed batters. He had proven that throughout his minor league career. He proved that to us in the major leagues last year. And we challenged him to come up with an approach that was going to work against lefties as well. Um, that's a lot of what he worked on in spring training. Um, he took his lumps in spring training because of that, but um, his ability to throw the slider with a little bit more confidence, to, to throw a little bit of a cutter with a little bit more confidence to, to left-handed batters um, has certainly benefited him so far in the early going. And Corey Canable, that big curveball, maybe as good as it's been in his career right now, yeah. I would say. Corey's another guy where um, has all the stuff to be a, a dominant late-inning reliever, yeah. and we saw that in flashes last year. Uh, we're seeing that a little bit more consistently now with the fastball-curveball combination. It's um, as good a curveball as there is, and, and uh, looking forward to seeing it more. And, of course, the big velocity from Feliz. We saw that in Toronto. Um, that moment between him and Josh Donaldson, one of the moments of the season so far, in my opinion, it was, it was a big-time atmosphere, and, yep. and he was rearing back against one of the best hitters in the game. It was a really fun at-bat. But Neftali can get the juices flowing when he needs to, it seems like. He can. Neftali knows what he's doing back yeah. there. He's... Uh, He's an experienced late-inning guy. Obviously, he's pitched in big games in the World Series with Texas. And um, his experience, his stability in the back end, end of our pen has helped. Um, he's probably got two pitches all year that he'd like back. Unfortunately, those two pitches yeah. left the yard. Um, but he's really pitched very well for us, and, and uh, we have a ton of confidence in him. You've made some moves to kind of complement and fill out that bullpen, um, Oliver Drake being one of them, Jared Hughes uh, right before the start of the season being another. And it seems like there's been a, a little bit of a plan to have guys that are different. You know, Drake with the splitter, Hughes with the sinker, um, go along with Mourinho who throws a little bit of a sink. And, and, and it seems like you have – options yeah. for Craig Council to go to dependent upon the situation and what he needs. That's the goal and, and more and more in baseball those last few spots in the bullpen are constantly in flux yeah. and, um, depending on need or matchups coming up but you definitely want different looks out of your bullpen and we've been able to do that with a guy like Drake who is splitter heavy where some of our other guys are more velocity heavy. Um, you know, Drake gives us a, a pretty potent option against left-handed batters which we may not have had previously. Yeah. Um, and, and helps balance out our bullpen. So uh, been very pleased overall with how our bullpen has fared. We've, we've leaned on those guys a lot. They've logged a lot of innings for us early in the season. It's unusual for a team to only have an off day or two throughout the month of April, and uh, generally you're still building your starters up, and we've, we've relied on that group a lot, and they've done a really nice job. All right, let's jump into the, the system a little bit, and we'll start in AAA. A lot of big-time outfield prospects. Kirk Neuenheis is there now, too finding at bats for all those guys is challenging yep. and you guys have been very upfront that that's not always going to be the easiest thing but you have to be excited about the way these guys are playing Brinson's doing exactly what he did in August Cordell's off to a strong start and Brett Phillips having a nice bounce back year after you challenged him and moved him up to AAA yep and and all three of those guys are, are doing exactly what we asked them to do out mm -hmm. of spring training and um, that's great to see from from my perspective uh, it's great to have challenging playing time situations. You look at the best teams in baseball, and there are challenging playing time situations uh, for all of them. If, if you look at how Joe Madden has to manage the Cubs, there's a really good position player every single day who, who has to sit on the bench. And um, we're, we're aiming to get to that same place where we have guys who uh, are, are, are elite players, um, very solid players who, who can't play every day because we have just so much depth in our on our team. And we're going to see that at AAA. We have, we have an outfield grouping there that uh, is among the deepest in all of minor league baseball. Um, all of them are playing really well. 
and it's uh, it's exciting to see. And, and frankly, what, what shows up in the box score is the offensive side of the mm-hmm. ball. Uh, we're equally excited about what those guys are doing defensively and on the bases. Um, we've challenged all of them to take a step forward defensively. Obviously, that's that's one of Craig's key points to our entire organization throughout spring training was defense matters and run prevention matters, and we all need to take run prevention personally. And so far, those guys are meeting that challenge. What is your personal philosophy or the organization's philosophy? Because you're at this point now. These guys are at AAA. They're having success. What's your philosophy on they'll tell us when they're ready, and what do we do at the major league level when they're ready? Um, You want to have that tough decision. You want to have that tough problem. You don't want it to be a guy gets hurt and you bring them up out of necessity. Sometimes that makes it easier on you. But how, how do you handle that? And I know you're not going to sit here and tell us exactly what you're going to do yep. in the next couple of months. But as you analyze these guys, what are you looking at for them to tell you when they're ready? And then how much more challenging does it become for you? It's, it's a combination of a number of different factors. The first thing is the individual player's development. And we look at all three of those guys, Cordell, Brinson, Phillips. Um, none of them has had extended time in AAA. Um, so the first thing we try to do is make sure that they all get sufficient at-bats in yep. AAA. Um, and really master that level. Um, once we feel like the player has developed to the point uh, of, of being able to compete at the major league level, um, then it comes down to major league need and, and what makes our team better. And, and so you really need that confluence of events where the player we believe has reached that threshold from a development perspective and there's a need on the major league team. And when that happens, that's when the call up happens and that's when a prospect generally gets promoted and, and gets playing time at the major league level. And um, it's important that whenever we promote a top prospect, we actually have at-bats for them. Yeah. Here. We don't, we don't want to bring up a top prospect and have them sit on the bench six out right. of seven days. Um, that doesn't do us any good. It certainly doesn't do the prospect any good. So um, it's a balancing act. It's one that we're going to continue to have over the next couple of years as our system improves and guys progress. Um, and so we'll, we really will tackle each individual decision on its own um, and, and make the decision that's in the best interest of both the particular player and, and our team. And important to know, Lewis Brenson of those three guys has the most AAA experience, and he's, what, 200 at-bats at yeah, the AAA baby. level? Still is not yeah. very many, so there's still plenty uh, left for those guys at the AAA level. A couple of pitchers doing a really nice job for you, specifically Brandon Woodruff. It seems yeah. like he just picked right up where he left off at the end of last season. It's fun to see, and yeah, this is this is a challenging jump for Brandon. He went from a very pitcher-friendly environment yeah. in Biloxi in the Southern League to a very hitter-friendly environment in Colorado Springs in the PCL, um, and he's done exactly what he did last year. And um, he he's not been intimidated at all by that environment. He's not been intimidated at all by uh, by that league, and it's been great. And he continues to elevate himself uh, among pitching prospects in baseball, not only in our organization but throughout the entire league. And we're very fortunate to have him. Um, and uh, and he's, he's doing exactly what he needs to do. And Josh Hader's the other name that a lot of people focus on. And some up-and-down results from Josh. I, it still seems like it comes back to maybe command with him a little bit, cut down the walk numbers. That's probably something that you guys want to see from him moving forward, right? Yeah, it, it, it's command and pitch efficiency, and, and uh, Josh at that level can probably get enough outs with just his fastball. His yeah. fastball is so electric. We've challenged Josh to use his slider a little bit more this year, use his changeup a little bit more this year. Um, he's still working on the command of those pitches, and uh, so we'll, we'll give him time to, to do that. There's really no rush with either of these guys, um, and, and when they're ready, we'll, we'll make sure we have a spot for them. Getting some good pitching as well at the double-A level. Luis Ortiz has, has done a nice job. I think one start maybe that didn't go his way, but otherwise his outings have been good. Left the last game with a little bit of an injury, but it doesn't sound serious, so that's, that's a positive thing. 
And that's another fun rotation uh, yeah. that you have in double A with Biloxi and talking about Ortiz, but then Aaron Wilkerson's done some good things for you as well. Yep. And yeah. Jorge Lopez, exactly. obviously. You shouldn't it's, forget about Jorge it's, Lopez. It's, it's, a, it's a good rotation. It's an experienced rotation for double A. Um, Ortiz is kind of the young guy of the group and, and the new guy, and he, uh, he left his last start with some hamstring cramping, but we don't anticipate that being a big deal at all. Um, he has thrown the ball very well. He's got a power um, fastball slider combination, plays very well. Uh, really electric and electric arm and with him it's just time and repetitions and building up innings um, and then some of the other guys you mentioned Jorge Lopez after a really good winter ball season and pitching well in the WBC has carried that over to to, to double a Aaron Wilkerson who we acquired last year in the uh, in the um, Aaron Hill trade um, pitching very well Taylor Youngman started the other night threw the ball well um, so we're 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 happy with how that rotation is progressing and you can find that stable of arms with the stable of arms we have in AAA, uh, and it's pretty nice depth for us at the major league level. Do you look at Lopez in the same breath as Woodruff and Hader in terms of you kind of look at him as a AAA guy? Yeah. He tried that level last year. It was tough for him, but he's been exposed to the highest level. He's, he's been up. He's in the WBC, and so from that standpoint, you look at his development as a – he's in AA, but he's a AAA guy in some ways. Yeah, I think we, really we'd look at Lopez, Youngman, and Wilkerson all, yeah. all in that in that vein you can only send so many arms to right to triple a um we also understand what our triple a environment does to certain types of pitchers and certain types of pitches um, and so we're trying to put these guys in the best place to succeed and for for those three in particular given their arsenals we thought uh that that double a was was the best environment and, and so far they're pitching well so any of those guys on top of our our triple a roster could be um called up if we need them big prospect team in carolina in advance day with the mudcats and Corbin Burns and the way he's yep. been pitching, he almost feels like this year's version of Brandon Woodruff in some ways. Would that be fair? It could, you know, an advanced college pitcher who yeah. maybe didn't get the the love out of the draft that he expected um, or perhaps he deserved, uh, came in with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder to prove people wrong, and uh, has done exactly that. He's he's been, if not the best, one of the best pitchers in all of minor league baseball this year. Um, he's throwing strikes. He's really dominating that level. And uh, it's a, another good young arm that we have progressing through our system. And Peralta's been pitching well. Duplan's been pitching well. It's a laundry list of arms uh, in Carolina that have done some good things. Corey Ray's back, and, yep. and, and he's shown some good things upon his return. He has. The athleticism is still there. The speed's still there. Um, the reaction is still there. Now it's just getting him ABs. And, and uh, you know, a guy like Corey, who's such an athletic player, such an instinctive player, um, once we get him going, he gets regular at bats. We get him a couple hundred at bats here. We're very confident that the performance is going to is going to follow, and um, he has the ability to, to impact the game on all sides of the ball. Those of us who were here during his BP session at Miller Park saw the saw yeah. the power last year, um, but he's equally fun on the bases and he's equally fun in the outfield. So uh, we just another guy just need to be patient, give him yeah. time, allow him to experience the ups and downs of, of player development, and uh, when his time is right, he'll, he'll get moving. If there's two feel-good stories so far, one of them's in Carolina, the other's in Wisconsin, and these guys are pretty familiar with each other. They've played with each other a lot. Jake Gatewood uh, yeah. at Carolina, just an amazing story, and Monte Harrison, who's finally healthy and doing great things uh, in Class A. You guys have to be high-fiving to finally get Harrison kind of off the track and, and yep. going down the, down the, the, the path. Uh, like he wanted to for so long, he just couldn't stay healthy. And then Gatewood, who's really retooled his swing and done all sorts of stuff yeah. to get himself to where he's at right now. It's it's a great lesson of perseverance for both of those guys and a reminder to us that players develop at different rates. And 
Um, not everyone's going to go level to level year to year. Some guys move faster than that, and some guys move sl- slower than that. Um, and there are a lot of big leaguers who had to repeat levels. There are a lot of big leaguers who had to go through a ball two or three times before they uh, made the jump. The, the talent for both of those players was never in question. We, right. we knew they had the tools. Um, it's, it's a matter of translating those tools to skills and ultimately to performance. And uh, so far, both of those guys have done that. They've worked incredibly hard to, to get there, and they should be enjoying some of the success. And last question, two young guys in Wisconsin that um, what they're doing at this age is very impressive. Mario Feliciano, a catcher, 18 years of age, yep. uh, in the Midwest League. That's almost unheard of, and he's handling it really well, and he's offensively, which you guys knew he was a good offensive catcher when you took him. Uh, he's off to a great start. And yep. then Demi Oromoloy, who's had his struggles uh, you know, in, in the Pioneer League last year, but he's off to a great start in the Midwest League also. Yeah, you think about, um, you think about Demi and the struggles he's had uh, coming through his first year or so in, in professional baseball and to, to stick with it. Um, a guy who, who really hasn't played a lot of baseball in right. his career because of his background, because of where he grew up. Um, so another, another individual with tremendous amount of tools um, still learning the game, and we need to give him time to learn the game. And then, you know, Mario Feliciano is about as advanced 18-year-old as you can possibly find. It's really tough to survive as an 18-year-old in the Midwest League, um, and really that's what we were aiming for him to do is just survive there, get the experience of a full-season league, understand what it's like to be a catcher in a full-season league. Um, and he's not only survived, he's really thrived at this point, and it's been, it's been exciting for us to see. It's frankly even surprised some of us um, that he's performed as well as he had, and, and uh, you know, he keep, continues this on, and, and he's going to vault himself into elite conversation. David, we appreciate it. Thanks so much. My and, pleasure. Uh, we covered it all. It was great. Thanks for the time. David Stearns, Brewers General Manager with us here on Brewers on Tap TV. Thanks to David Stearns for being with us on Brewers on Tap. All right, let's check the system. Checking in on the farm. As we go down on the farm, let's start in Triple A. Colorado Springs off to that franchise record start. They're now 14 and 7. Brett Phillips having a very nice year in his first go round in Triple A. He's hitting 314. He has now driven in 18 runs. And Tuesday night he went three for four with two doubles, and he drove in three alone in that contest against Oklahoma City. Brandon Woodruff pitched on Tuesday night, six innings, three earned runs. He's now 4-0 with a 2.22 ERA. In three of his five starts so far this year, he's not allowed an earned run. In A Biloxi, the talk of the shuckers is right-handed pitcher Jorge Lopez, who was named the Brewers Minor League Pitcher of the Month earlier this week. Boy, has he been good as Lopez, the Puerto Rico native, 2-1 with a 1.73 ERA. That's five earned runs in 26 innings pitched, just four walks and 30 strikeouts so far on the year. He allowed only one earned run in his last three outings for a .64 ERA over that span, and he's led the system with 30 punchouts in April and ranked second with a .81 whip. Jorge Lopez, after a struggle, Last year in AAA, then kind of finding his footing in AA Biloxi at the end of the year last year, back to being one of the top pitchers in the Brewers' system. That's a very good thing to see. The Shockers currently sit at 11-14. and 14. 
In Class A advance, the Carolina Mudcats are 10 and 15, but they sport the Brewers Minor League Player of the Month in Jake Gatewood. It's deceiving, though, the 2 2. Gatewood swings high drive right field. Back on it, Rafaela to the track at the wall. It's gone. It's his second home run of the day. Gatewood has now tied this game. It's 1-1 in the second inning. A solo shot here to start this frame. And his third home run this year. That's the voice of the Mudcats, Greg Young, on the call. Gatewood, who plays third base and first base, just had an absolutely monster month. And this is another guy, kind of like Lopez, bouncing back from a tough year last year. He did hit 14 home runs last year, but didn't hit for average like you would have liked. Had some struggles, but he has bounced back in a big way. He's retooled his swing. And he's hitting 329 in the month of April. Uh, eight doubles, four home runs, and nine RBIs. He's currently just continuing on that stretch. He's in the midst now of a 12-game hitting streak after getting another hit on Tuesday night. Isan Diaz has also been very good for Carolina while we're talking about the Mudcats. He's in the midst of a 12-game hitting streak. He got off to a little bit of a slow start again like he did last year. He has turned the corner, and he is on fire right now. Five home runs now for Isan Diaz. And... Um, he has been uh, about as good as you could hope for. Five home runs during this hitting streak. He has been something else. His average climbing up close to 300 now. And Diaz also has driven in 20 runs already on the season. Really good stuff from one of the top prospects in the Brewers system. Class A Wisconsin, the Timber Rattlers are 11-11 and 11 overall. And the reclamation project there has been Monte Harrison, who's dealt with injuries the last couple of years, and he has risen up to the challenge this year in Class A, hitting 299, six home runs, and 15 driven in. Have a Oil listen. pitch to Monte. Fly ball to right. Montgomery going back. He looks up, and it's gone. An opposite field home run for Monte Harrison, his sixth of the season. And the Rattlers have a 4-0 lead in the top of the third inning. That's the voice of the Timber Rattlers, Chris Merring, on the call for Monte Harrison. So it's been a good start to the minor league season for the Brewers affiliates as a lot of these prospects performing at a very good clip. All right, let's see what's coming up. Here's what's on tap. Well, there's a big week on tap at Miller Park. The Brewers return home next Tuesday, the 9th, to begin a three-game interleague set against Dustin Pedroia and the Red Sox in Boston's first trip to Miller Park since 2003. Tuesday, the 9th at 6.40. Wednesday, the 10th at 7.10. Thursday, the 11th at 12.10. Kids and seniors discount day as well for that one. So we hope to see you out at the ballpark uh, for that Red Sox series. And then, of course, the Mets come to town on Friday for a weekend series featuring five-county Friday. All five-county residents receive 50% on tickets. Star Wars Night on Saturday featuring a post-game laser show and a Jedi Keon bobblehead included as part of a special Star Wars Night ticket package. And a Mother's Day wristlet giveaway on Sunday, plus kids eat free. Check out the complete schedule and reserve your spot today at Brewers.com. That's going to do it for us and this week's edition, episode number 80 of Brewers on Tap. We'll be back with you again next week in the middle of that Red Sox series. Talk to you then. Have a good one, everybody. I'm Lane Grimble. Brewers.